Hey, Mason, it's the end of October. You know what that means? I sure do. Pumpkin spice everything. Uh, Well, yeah, but I was thinking about fall color. Oh, right. That magical season when the sky turns orange and we have to stay inside so we can breathe. (laughs) No, no, no. Not that fall color. The trees, the trees turn fantastic shades of yellow, orange, and red. That really happens? Despite persistent wildfire smoke and one of the hottest summers ever, it is finally time to photograph fall colors. It's an annual event that gets some photographers' creative juices flowing like pumpkin spice lattes at Starbucks. (laughs) You know me, I love fall color. And we're here to share our tips and tricks for capturing awesome fall color at its vivid best. It's time to photocombobulate. I'm Mason Marsh. And I'm Jeff Carlson. I love the fact that you love the fact that I go crazy about fall color. And you I do. have to thank you for for enabling that <laughs> because uh, I don't know what it is, but there's something in my brain that just goes crazy at the concept of fall color. Like it sounds, it sounds like hyperbole, but I just love it. And in this case, we actually got together. Now, we're recording this. As usual, I'm in Seattle. You're in Portland. But uh, last weekend, we were together in the North Cascades of Washington searching for fall color. I also think it's hilarious because we said, just like we did in our our Sierra Nevada trip last year, we're going to record our podcast while we're together. And because of timing and, and trying to find fall color and a highway that was suddenly closed, that didn't happen. So here we are. But it still doesn't diminish my enthusiasm for fall color. Well, and the the ironic thing is of all of this, Jeff, is we still are waiting for the fall color for the <laughs> most part here in the Northwest. Um, this is true. It's been better in other years and, and certainly earlier than this. This year, the fall color is really late. And on our trip, we had to really look for it. We had to actually literally climb for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and what's really weird is the fall color outside my window in Seattle right now is kind of amazing. We have some trees across the road that are all red and orange and gorgeous. And so I was super excited, like, all right, it's come, it's come to, to, to Washington. And we got up there and we, we said this multiple times, it looked like it was August. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird. So what has happened here in the Northwest is we've had a historically dry and hot summer. And what trees need, for those people who don't know, right, what trees need to change color, the deciduous trees need a good cold snap to kind of kick them into their fall color mode. And uh, we just haven't had that. It's been warm, warm, warm evenings, warm nights. Uh, We were in the mountains of the North Cascades, uh, high altitude, and it only got down into the 50s at night. So nowhere near cold enough to kick those trees into high gear. And so we had to go to really high altitudes to find the golden larches and some of the other trees that change color uh, in the high mountains. But here in Portland, we still haven't had that cold snap. And we have some maple trees that are turning now, but we also have a lot of trees that just look dried out and brown and just tired. (laughs) They're like, can we drop these leaves now, please? To give people an idea, as we were coming back to Seattle from the North Cascades, uh, we went over Snoqualmie Pass. 
And this was, you know, what, October 19th or something. I, I mm -hmm. have to look at a calendar. It was 85 degrees at the top of the pass. Yeah. That's just nuts. It's crazy. But it wasn't even really the heat that was the big issue for us. It was the smoke. Yeah. It's what comes with the heat, right? So having a dry summer means we have wildfires. And in the Northwest, in, in the entire West of North America, um, wildfires are normal. They're definitely part of the ecosystem here. But mm -hmm. what we've seen in the last several years is a dramatic increase in the number of fires and how long they burn uh, and how much smoke they put into our, the atmosphere. You in Seattle, you had a worse time of it than we had in Portland this summer, but you have had weeks of bad air quality where it really wasn't safe to be outside. Yeah. And we have these, <laughs> the AQI, the air quality index, which has become part of our nomenclature in the Northwest. Like what's the AQI today? I even have it on my watch. So I can look down and see what the numbers are before I go outside and do stuff. It's like, if it's a, if it's, you know, under 200, I'll probably go out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which, yeah. which it's by itself, that's not even really a great, a great reading at all. It should be like, like right now it's probably in like the forties or something like that's, that's yeah. nice and green and good. And yeah. we were, I think for the most part in the like slightly under 200, except for at Diablo Lake, which, right. what was the reading up there? We were in the 500s, like 500s, up in the upper 500s. Yeah. 500s. Can you believe this, Jeff? You know, after we did our trip, the week after, it was really bad here in Portland, real smoky. And my son Cooper and I were watching the AQI of, of all of these sampling sites all up and down the, the mountains and in the western sides of the states. And we'll put a link to this website in the show notes. But it, there is a website that shows you live air quality readings uh, in all these sites that have sensors now. And there's lots and lots of these now in the west. There was a site down by Eugene where there's a big wildfire that's been burning all summer that was 1,185. Can you believe that? <laughs> and wow. I was telling Cooper, I said, I think it tops out at like 1,000. And like, nope, it goes higher. Nope. So we were in the mid 500s and it was, you could taste it. You know, it was, oh, yeah. it was strong and you definitely smell the smoke. You definitely see the smoke and it changes um, the color of everything. It changes the look of everything. And we experienced this in the Sierra Nevada last summer when we were last fall when we were down there and we got it again this year. And so I think it's our new normal for the fall. So when we're looking forward to fall colors, we also should just go ahead and expect that for a while before the rains come, it's going to be smoky. And especially up in the mountains where the fires are, it can get really smoky and that can change, it affects the temperature, right? It's mm -hmm. like uh, having a cap over everything. So it can change how the trees are acting. Um, it can change definitely how everything looks when it comes time to make photos. So yeah. I have learned to embrace it. I sort of like the wildfire smoke. I hate to say it that way because it's actually pretty bad for you, but um, <laughs> you know, well, some of my favorite mountain photos are taken in wildfire smoke. Well, so this is the thing. Harkening back to last year, when we – just to, to catch people up, we were originally going to run a workshop in the Sierra Nevada. And uh, that fell apart largely because of COVID concerns at the time and the wildfire smoke concerns. Mm -hmm. And there was a certain part of us that – you expressed this – we're sort of glad that the workshop didn't happen because we weren't sure if the participants would have enjoyed themselves as much because it was so smoky. Yeah. But the thing is like 
smoke is atmosphere yeah. and not just not i mean yes obviously it's atmosphere <laughs> in the literal sense but it really produces an interesting dreamy quality that in some cases i mean it looks like fog mm -hmm. um and so one of my surprises from this trip has been some of the shots that I like the most have benefited from that smoke. Right. Yeah, I think it lends itself to layering. So mm -hmm. as you're looking at a, a landscape composition, a lot of times we try to affect some sort of layering in our photos. Smoke creates this layering effect stronger. Uh especially if you use a longer lens. And so I like to take long lens shots of ridge lines with trees mm -hmm. sticking up. And if it's smoky, you get this kind of, it, it's almost like it, it, an abstract because everything is monochromatic, you know, really can be orange color from the smoke. It can be brown or dark green, almost color. And uh, it it's very moody. And you get these layers of these ridge lines kind of marching off into just nothingness in the background. And you you don't get the strong rays of sunlight most of the time. You know, the smoke really does diffuse the light. And so it's not really dramatic and it lends this really kind of somber mood to it. I think it's really uh, striking. It can be really fun uh, mm -hmm. to take photos in those types of conditions. And it is like fog, but it's not as heavy, right? You can see further through most of the time. You can see further through the smoke. Sometimes if you're up in a mountain valley, the smoke is laying down in the valley like fog would, and that can be pretty cool. What we experienced up in the Cascades was uh, just thick, just a thick blanket of mm -hmm. smoke, which just sort of diffused everything. But not for the whole trip, right? Our, our next, the next day, we were on the other side of the mountains, and the smoke was uh, pushed on the other side. So we had gorgeous conditions the next day. So you never know what you're going to get with the wind. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that that really points to the benefit of knowing what the weather is going to be doing. Another thing that I really took from this trip was just that that aspect of having to adapt on the fly. Because, I, I mean, after we went up to Diablo Lake, I just assumed, all right, this is going to be how the whole weekend is going to be. And we woke up Saturday morning and it was like literally it was a blue sky. Yeah. Um, in fact, <laughs> to the point where we didn't even try to go shoot a sunrise because there wasn't really a good opportunity for that. Uh, and and just sort of assuming like well everything's going to be smoked in so probably sh shouldn't go do that and then suddenly I mean Saturday uh, we hiked up to Blue Lake and the, it was a gorgeous day the air was completely yeah. clear um, in fact I was kind of hoping there would be more clouds it was just a you know bland blue sky but right th that also worked in 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 some of the occasions. I should also point out, make sure you go to the show notes page for this episode because we're going to put a bunch of our shots that that describe some of the things that that we saw. Yeah. Yeah, I think I want to echo what you said about being flexible. Um fall color because it's different every year, you know, depending on the temperatures, depending on the smoke conditions, all of this, um you need to have a plan, but you need to be ready to flex that plan. So I had like three or four different options for what we, where we would go. And 
depending on smoke conditions, depending on um, what we found for fall color. And also, which is, an, this is another factor I want to highlight. Uh, it was busy. I mean, it was crazy busy. We went to a couple different mm. trailheads uh, that we had identified as being good for fall color. And it seemed like everybody else had the same idea. Um, there was parking up and down the highway for a good distance uh, from these trailheads. And so we got lucky uh, at the trailhead we really wanted to go to. We went there and found a parking spot in the parking lot, which was um, just pure luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> literally, luck. literally right in front of the trailhead, like somebody had just yeah. left. Yeah, like somebody held their spot for us, right? So, <laughs> you know, you need to be ready to deal with crowds of people. Uh, if that's something that doesn't interest you, you're going to need to go further up uh, trails. You're going to have to mm-hmm. find areas that aren't as well known. But for us, working in the North Cascades, um, in its proximity to Seattle, it's just a given that you're going to have crowds of people if the conditions are are good at yeah. all. Yeah, and, and also timing. Um, the way our schedules are right now, we couldn't just go off in the middle of the week, which would right. be the ideal time to do it. So we were there on a Saturday morning. Yep. Like it, it, it was just packed with people. And from a, an experiential standpoint, I kind of liked it because everybody and their dog – and there was a lot of dogs too. And their like, dog. Oh, my like God. Like everybody seemed – Really happy, like you. Mm-hmm. You pass people on the trail, and you you know you say hello and good morning. You know, m- maybe it was because everybody was escaping all the smoke on the other side yeah. of the mountains. But going back to that idea of if you're just out to have a nice walk in nature uh, and maybe make some photographs, like that's the benefit right there as well. And I, I think I partially had to take some comfort from that because. We kept running into areas where there's not a lot of color. There's not a lot of color. I I think the biggest disappointment – and I'm going to put an asterisk next to that real quick. On Sunday, we went to Leavenworth and Leavenworth mm-hmm. has been a really good spot, at least for me, for fall color. I can't say I've ever really hit it exactly right, but I've – I've gotten some good fall color images from there. Uh, last year, I was there for for a day right after our trip and, and really liked some of our images. That was what I expected would be the, the prime location mm-hmm. because we didn't really know what was going to be up higher in the, in the different elevations in the mountains. Like we, we had to go see. But mm-hmm. the – the Icicle Creek and the, the 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 canyon that runs like right outside of Leavenworth is pretty good. And this year, it was really not. Maybe it is this weekend and next weekend. I, I'm kind of hoping. Yeah. Um, I'm not able to actually go out in it. But it was a, a huge surprise that, that there just wasn't that color there. So we had to – Adapt, and then the, the asterisk I mentioned is because actually a few of my favorite shots came from that day. Yeah, yeah, me too. Just to recap, we went up um, the North Cascades Highway, which is uh, the northernmost kind of cross cascade highway uh, in Washington state. And we went over the top and at the top was Diablo Lake. And that was totally socked in. We went back over the east side and camped for the night and then hiked on the east side where it was very nice and clear the next day. Uh, And then we went further down into the eastern slopes and foothills of the Cascades, um, which were pretty smoke free, but also pretty fall color free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All the way down through a lot of the usual hot spots weren't ready yet. And we ended up down at uh, Leavenworth, 
which like you said, is normally a, a great spot for fall color. It just wasn't ready yet. It hadn't gotten cold enough yet. It was pretty smoky over there too. But we went up Icicle River, and I think what we had done at this point was we had both decided that if we saw a tree or two that (laughs) met the criteria, it was worth a stop. And this is different from normal fall color excursions where you're looking for whole groves of aspens and maples that are ablaze with color. Here we're looking for one or two trees that make good compositions. And we found one on the shore of Icicle River, one of my favorite shots. It's real smoky. You know, we're kind of looking down the valley and this one tree, which both of us have a similar version of this. We'll post both of our shots in the show notes. Uh, This one tree was just in the perfect spot for a great composition with the river and the rocks and the smoke, and it all worked together. It was very moody, and I liked it. And it's uh, one of my favorite shots from the weekend. But it was really literally one tree out of thousands in the in the frame that was the good fall color. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Kind of strange. (laughs) But that leads me to another point, Jeff, and that is when you're out shooting fall color and the color isn't cooperating like it has hasn't for us this year you find yourself looking for small compositions small landscapes and uh, i want to encourage people a lot of people when they go out to do nature photography and landscape photography they, they throw the wide lens on and they go out and they're looking for these vistas that's great sometimes it works out and you get these wild vistas with the beautiful lake and the trees reflected in the lake and all of that, um, which we got a little bit of at Blue Lake. But I have found more often than not, if I put the zoom lens on or a telephoto lens and I pick out individual trees or even parts of individual trees, and then look at how the light is playing on that color, how that's making more pleasing and and satisfying photos for me than these wide grand vistas. Um, And I found that on our hike up to Blue Lake, you know, we, we got up to the lake and it was pretty, uh, and there was some pretty fall color up there. And we should mention that there are two different types of trees that we photographed on that weekend. There's the deciduous, um, big leaf kind of maple-ish type trees and aspens of the Icicle River area near Leavenworth and some of these other areas that were uh, down at lower elevations. And then at the high elevation, we're shooting this really cool uh, tree called the larch, a western larch, which is... Uh, it looks like a, a evergreen tree, but it actually goldens up and then drops its needles in the fall. And uh, at high altitudes, these trees just pop because they're in amongst the fir trees, which are still dark green. And you get these really gorgeous trees that are yellow and orange color. And they were in really good shape for uh, for fall color. And so we found these large trees, ended up shooting at the lake for a while and then being like, ah, let's go back down the trail. There was a grove of these trees that looked cooler. And we ended up spending a lot of time there making uh, close-up photos of those trees. And those are my favorite from the trip, those close-up shots. So Yeah. That was a great spot because you also had a lot of colorful underbrush. There was some some plant that was was, uh, turning red and plus you had some, you know, mountains in the background. That worked out really well. Uh, compositionally and also just partially I think because of the smoke but because of the time and the angle, the light was hitting some of those large trees. Uh, Again, some of my favorite shots of the trip Mm -hmm. because they were just golden and dappled. It wasn't just, hey, here's a bunch of trees. And I have have several pictures where Mm -hmm. I look at it now. I'm like, yep, those are trees. 
And there's nothing really spectacular about that, which is another thing that I wanted to bring up, especially in terms of uh, like what you were saying, looking at that wide view, because I run into this a lot. My brain sees the color and I'm focused on the color. I mean, uh-huh. that's how our eyes and brains work. It's like catnip and for you, Jeff. It's, like it's catnip. totally catnip. It's totally catnip. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, there's color. Look at all the color. And, I, and I'll shoot the color like there it is. Look, there's a whole bunch of trees over there. And there, there, there's some, some large trees in the distance. And there's some this yellow gold sticking out from the green. And like, isn't that great? And then I look back at my photos and I realize that they just look like snapshots. There's mm-hmm. nothing artistic. There's nothing, there's nothing even very deliberate about them because my brain was so overloaded with, ooh, ah, color. Mm-hmm. And... I have to force myself in these situations to get past that. And, and I think part of it is, all right, I'm going to just shoot all the color and then take a step back and, and, and look again and see what I can find. And then seeing more of uh, you know, composition and elements playing off one another and like hitting that, that area in the grove where the light was just bouncing on a few trees, mm-hmm. uh, whereas the, the others were really dark because – there's also that problem of unless you are in Vermont or Colorado right now where you have just miles of red and orange trees, taking a really wide shot like that can end up just being like a whole bunch of stochastic color. Mm-hmm. And um, it, one of the things that I struggle with a little bit because I shoot with a, a Fuji X-T3 with its X-Trans sensor, it doesn't do as well with that sort of far away, small, noisy detail. Well, and to, so, be, to be fair, the sensor does fine. Lightroom doesn't do very well with it. That's true. That's true. Lightroom, <laughs> Lightroom doesn't interpret that as well. And in fact, uh, for I, I think almost all of the images that I like, I've I've also processed them in DxO Pure Raw, mm-hmm. which uh, just does a better job of of decoding the the Fuji Raw files. But yeah. even then, even compositionally. Unless you're really going for the the wide swath of color, it can just be noise, like like literal I- image noise, but also just noise to to your your eyes and your brain. Yeah. And just because there's color doesn't mean you're going to end up with fabulous fall shots. And right. I, and I have countless examples in my library of that, where. I mean, you could just see, all right, here's where Jeff's brain went into overdrive and he was like, color, 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 color. And then here are some other ones where he calmed down and got past that initial you know, adrenaline rush and then found something that was more deliberate. Well, and I think there's a valuable lesson here in that this is a problem all photographers face, especially landscape photographers. And I would use a, an analogy here and say, if you took a a photo of a crowd of people and and let's say you're at a concert or a big sporting event and there's thousands of people and you take a picture of the crowd. It's an interesting picture and I'm sure there's uh, some value to it and it, it has an interestingness. The energy of being around all those people is certainly, you know, inspiring and you want to try to capture that. That photo is not usually going to have nearly as much impact as a close up of one or two or three people cheering, right? Would have. Mm-hmm. And I feel the same way about trees. I think that 
when I go out and take photos in a mossy rainforest or in a forest that's got fall color, if there's too many trees in the shot, it's just, there's just too many trees in the shot (laughs) and you don't, you don't know what to look at. Your eyes don't know where to go. And I think that I'm going to push back a little bit on your mention of the Blue Lake photos. I had a real problem at Blue Lake finding a composition I liked, and you were down at the shore of the lake. I was further up on this rock slide, kind of getting a higher angle. And you were down at the shoreline, and you ended up making a really cool photo, which I hope we can throw in the show notes, of uh, the rocks under the water mm-hmm. with it, with the trees and the mountains kind of in the background. It's a, a really good alpine lake composition, and I didn't see that when I was up there. I just didn't... I. I think that when I get into a spot where I don't see a very clear single subject that really captivates me, I just sort of stand there and gaze at everything. And that's what I did. I was like waiting for (laughs) something to inspire me and nothing did. And so I wandered off and shot some other things. Um, But you found that really cool composition. And I think that when you're in a, when you're at a buffet, you need to pick a dish and eat it. Don't try to eat the whole buffet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you could try, but it's not going to be. It's not going to be pretty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and also, this weekend was a really good exercise in uh, showing up with something in your mind and realizing that you're not going to get that. I mean, I, I had really high hopes at Blue Lake just to make these amazing, epic shots of the the lake and the reflected and the the. The colors reflected in the lake, and I have some of that. But from where we were, you could either be on one side of the lake and shoot a picture of a, all the people who were there, yeah, <laughs> which I wasn't really interested. Or you walk around a little bit, and it's it's not a very large lake at all. It's 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 right. quite small, and you have a hillside with trees, and a bunch of them are large trees, and a bunch of them are evergreens. But there aren't that many. It's not like a giant hillside just filled with color. Right. And I – a lot of rocks. Lots, I don't know. Lots of rocks. <laughs> lot, lots, lots of rock. And so I had this idea that this was going to be this epic com- uh, composition and it just wasn't. Mm-hmm. And so I mean even though I, I was down there and I saw you know, the possibility of the rocks under the water – I struggled. I was I was really trying to find something. And then also I shot a few shots and then the light moved because mm-hmm. this lake is basically in a bowl. Right. And the light shifted and suddenly all the reflected color was just kind of gone and the wind picked up. The wind and picked so up and knocked the reflections down. Knocked yeah. the reflections down. And, and, and I literally – I took a few shots. I think I – maybe adjusted something on my camera and I looked up and I was like, all right, I'm done. I, yeah. I, I'm done with this spot and need to find <laughs> something else. And so wandered off. Yeah. It was never a waste of time to take a hike in the mountains. I questioned my decision to carry a bag full of camera gear up there. But, uh, <laughs> you know, in the long run, you know, I was finding that grove of trees on the way back down and spending, taking the time to, to work that and let the light play in that area. One of the things I liked about being up in that alpine environment and having the light sort of cutting through the mountains and not being steady, a steady stream of light on every subject mm-hmm. uh, was it allowed us to look for those, uh, you know, single trees that were being backlit and kind of set a glow in the sunlight. And then the trees behind them in shadow being a really stark uh, abstract 
you know, background mm-hmm. really was fantastic. And I oftentimes will walk right by stuff like that. Cause I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm going for this Vista shot that I, that I've seen other people do up here. And I know this <laughs> mountain Lake and it's, you know, it's going to be this amazing mountain sky water, you know, sort of party. And mm-hmm. you get up there and it's like, mm, it's not doing it for me. So being able to switch gears and, and be creative and be open to those suggestions that the light gives you, I think is really important. The other part of that trip that I want to mention is, and this is not an episode about this, but we both had brought our new iPhones. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it seems to be a fall tradition, right? Apple puts yeah, out an is. iPhone in October <laughs> and we get them and, and we take them out on these trips. Um, I had a ball shooting photos as I was hiking with my iPhone and I took photos of rocks and trees and dogs and people and, and just had fun with it. And I have to say, I come back to this time and time again, when I take out my real camera, it's work. You know, mm-hmm. it can be fun work, but it's work. When I'm shooting with my phone, it's just, it's just recreation. It's, you know, I don't have those expectations. I don't have that gravity on, on the experience that my tripod and my other camera bring. And I'm, I just, I have to bring that up that, you know, as these phones, cameras get better and better and better. Um, we're allowed to take photos in difficult lighting situations and get great results. Mm-hmm. And that really salvaged a lot of that hike for me. Cause I was like, I came back with some fun iPhoto iPhone shots that I wouldn't have gotten with my regular camera and didn't yeah. want to stop and dig it out of the bag, honestly, you know, but it, it was, you know, easy to grab my camera out of my pocket and take a shot. So just wanted to bring that up. Cause yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a reality now. Well, that's a reality now, and that actually makes me think I need to go and and take a closer look at my my iPhone shots because I, I I took a bunch, and a lot of them I took because I basically use it as 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 GPS for my other phone. So that oh yeah, I always forget that part of it. <laughs> so I I make a point of of trying to take a shot, uh, you know, wherever I'm shooting with with my Fuji camera, and then in Lightroom I can just copy the GPS coordinates and apply them, and you know. Mm. Um, but also, you know, I was trying to be a, a little bit artistic and you know see just you know what this 48 megapixels uh, re- resolution can do, and then. After the trip, I, I focused so much on what I shot with my Fuji camera that I, I'm not even sure if I could point to uh, a photo off the top of my head that I took with my iPhone. Even though, like like you, I was shooting with it quite often. So, well, and it's got that resolution now. You know, 48 megapixels is significant. You can make good prints. You can do good. You can crop. Now and yeah. not lose that detail. It's really, I, really pretty cool. I don't even need another camera, right? Oh, <laughs> not going to no. go there. Not, not going to go, go there. there. <laughs> not going to go there. It is so a I very wanna, good camera. I do want to bring up one other thing that we talked about mentioning here, and that is um, just practical logistics things. Uh, mm. When we do a trip like this, uh, it's smart to think ahead and have plans. And I mentioned that we were you know, very flexible with our plans. But one of the things I did before we left was I went and got an app that I use for trails. So if I'm going to go hiking, I'd like to have a map. And in the old days, I would actually go out and buy a map. I would find the proper 
topographical map for that area. Um, but now that we carry these amazing supercomputers in our pockets, um, you can download these maps and you don't have to have a paper map. And uh, paper the, the map? phone also adds, what's that? Paper map? How do you, how do you zoom in on the... You get paper hold it closer to your face, oh. Jeff. It's wow, man. This technology is amazing. It's, it's strange. It's strange. So the other added benefit of the phone is it's also got GPS. And so even mm-hmm. if there's no cell signal, your phone will tell you where you're at using GPS. And Which was so, definitely an issue for us. We we mm-hmm. went most of, I think, Friday and, and uh, a big chunk of Saturday with no cell signal at all. Yeah, yeah and so nothing. If you don't plan for that in advance, you're going to be looking at your maps app and it's going to be like, okay, here you are, a little blue dot. Yeah. Like like it knows where your GPS is because the GPS radio inside, but there's not going to be a map around it. Right. And so what I had done for our vehicle navigation, I had actually downloaded the Google map for the North Cascades. Mm -hmm. So in Google maps, you can do an offline a download. So while you have a signal, you select an, a region that you want to download a map and, and you um, can download it to your phone if you have enough memory. And so that is there and you can, can you can navigate with your car. But when you're hiking on a trail, you want a topographic map that shows the trail. And, and this app that I have called Onyx Backcountry, which requires a subscription, but if you do a lot of hiking, it's worth it. You get the trail map, the fine topographical map, you download it onto your phone so you don't have to have a signal to use it. And then it's combined with your GPS to show you exactly where you are on the trail, how far you've gone, elevation gains and losses, all this great stuff. Combine all of this with, so you have this on your phone. We also have Apple Watches. And you did a pretty cool thing with your Apple Watch where you uh, collected waypoints uh, using the Compass app on your watch, right? Yeah, yeah. So here's the thing about uh, – the, so the new WatchOS 9, and I'm totally going to plug the fact that that I just came out with, with a, a, an update to my Apple Watch book, Take Control of Apple Watch. Um, it's out now. Uh, but Apple completely revamped the Compass app. And so one thing that you can do, you can – uh, set waypoints, and it'll just help you navigate to those. Uh, I did not set waypoints. Oh, yeah, which which was the curious thing because I totally forgot. I did start uh, an outdoor hike uh, exercise so I could track mm, you know okay. my, my steps and the distance and heart rate and all that stuff. But because that was running. It was keeping track of, of my GPS location on a more frequent basis than if I, I was see. just wearing the watch. So at one point, and I, I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, uh, when it was time for us to, to head back, I wasn't quite sure which direction to go. Now, mm-hmm. I, I'm perfectly upfront. I have terrible navigational ability built into my head. Uh, everyone who knows me knows this. Mm-hmm. And – there was just this spot where literally like the trail branched off in a few different directions and I just wasn't quite sure like am I going to end up halfway across the lake because I didn't go in the right direction. It's embarrassing. You had already gone on ahead and uh, so I was like, oh, wait. I just wrote about this. I have this technology. And so I opened the Compass app and there's this feature called Backtrack and – when you tap that, because it had those GPS waypoints and it asks you 
do you want to use recent GPS data? And you're like, yes. Oh, uh, okay. it, it It literally plotted the route that I had taken to get there. And so using the compass, I could see, okay, like I need to head in this general direction. Oh, and there's there's the trailhead there, and then I could I can move forward. To recap, if you have uh, an app like Onyx Backcountry on your mm-hmm. phone, and you download this data while you have a signal, you can use that to navigate in the backcountry on on trails when there's no cell signal. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that, and you have your Apple Watch. You can run a uh, you know, record my walk, my outdoor hike. Mm-hmm. It's going to track the GPS data for you using the Apple Watch Compass app. You can use that to trace yourself back to your car and yeah. not get lost. Even if yeah. you don't have a map on your phone, that's going to help you get back. You know, it's pretty amazing. Uh, Apple touted a lot of these features when they announced the watch uh, and the new Ultra Watch and the new mm-hmm. uh, iPhone 14s. And a lot of people were sort of like, oh, come on, Apple, you know, are you trying to scare everybody? But I have to say, <laughs> being able to r- rely on my phone and my watch to guide me back to the car on a long mountain hike. And if I was, you know, if one of us had gotten hurt, we would have the ability. I don't know if it's active yet, but we'll eventually it's have the ability yet, to but... summon rescuers with our with our devices, even if we don't have a signal yeah. using satellites. Uh, I think that all, as somebody who spends a lot of time outside, I think all this stuff is amazing. And so it was really nice to have that information on our hike. This was not what most people would call a strenuous mountain hike. But I tell you, we put in some miles. <laughs> we did. And uh, we did far, far more miles than the uh, phone indicated that the hike was. It said it was mm-hmm. like a you know, 4.4-mile 4. 4 hike, and we ended up doing closer to 7 because we went on side trails and we circled around and kind of played around at the lake and moved around quite a bit. Yeah, um, It was funny to me because we got done with the hike and both of us were kind of bushed. <laughs> and it took a while. <laughs> it took several hours to do this trip. Yeah, And we're like, well, that's why we're tired. We did all these you know, steps and this altitude and all this stuff. So it's fun to have that data for that yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah, the the altitude uh, definitely uh, was a factor. Also, it was like a, a thousand foot um, uh, climb, mm-hmm. uh, you, you know. So, elevation gain—that's what I'm looking for. Um, I also want to follow up one quick thing. One of the neat things about the Apple Watch and this backtrack feature is, and maybe this was a factor. From what I can tell, it's a little hard to tell when it actually kicks in, but if your phone and your watch notices that there's no signal, like you have no Wi-Fi, you have no cellular, it will automatically start recording GPS coordinates for you as oh, a cool. as you know a, a, a safety issue because the idea is, oh, you must be somewhere remote mm-hmm. and therefore perhaps this would be helpful. Wow. And you know and and honestly it's a really good combination if you are a landscape photographer because a lot of landscape photographers will go somewhere where there's no there's no signal and so right. uh, you know and we and we are known to chase the light off trail and get down these side trails that aren't the real trail and they loop mm-hmm. back around and uh, we get we're distracted and we're not just out for a hike <laughs> we're we're, we're looking at things and yeah, I really enjoyed. I, I enjoyed our time, even though the photos weren't 
you know, eye popping. I think it was, uh, anytime you get out and, and have a good time looking for that fall color is a great experience. It's a wonderful time of year to get out. Normally it's not 85 degrees, right? Yeah. It's nice, cool, <laughs> cool weather. So encourage people to get out to wrap this all up. I would say that, um, the fall season is not over here in the West. I don't know if, if it's over where other people are, but uh, we still have two or three weeks of fall color here in Portland, at least. Um, our Japanese garden here in Portland, which is famous for the maple that is probably the most photographed maple tree in the world. It is, they post a photo of it every day. Like, here's what the color looks like. It's not even close to turning yet. Wow. And they think it's another week or two off. And so um, we've got a big window for fall color here in the West. And now that the rains have come, it's cleared out the smoke and we got, um, some fun, good conditions for shooting fall color finally. Mm -hmm. And so bring on that color, visit our webpage, photocombobulate.com. Look for the show notes for this episode. And you're going to see the photos that Jeff and I took on our trip. Um, we're going to have links to the apps that we talked about and the website that talks about the air quality index. We'll also have a link to Jeff's new book on the Apple Watch so you can get that. Because <laughs> I think that is, as these watches get more and more capable, it definitely is nice to have a book that helps guide you through it. Because it doesn't just tell time anymore, right? <laughs> no, no, it does It does a lot. <laughs> In fact, I hardly use mine at all for looking at the time. But anyway, uh, Jeff, thanks for going on that trip with me. I had a lot of fun. We had a lot of driving, but it's always fun hanging out. We got to take the camper van, which was great. And That was uh, great. Uh, drank, some, drank some good drinks, had some good pizza on the road, and uh -huh. had a good time. So we're going to have yep. to do it again uh, real soon. Yep. And and maybe maybe one time we'll record a podcast when we're in the same place. Maybe I, not. I'm going to stop <laughs> expecting that. <laughs> we, we are batting zero for that. Uh, but yeah, maybe. Maybe they'll have, maybe we should just run a recorder and just ramble into it for a while, which is what we do, right? So Yeah. That that would be thrilling. <laughs> <laughs> No, this was a great trip, and I, I, I'm really glad we both – you and I have been really busy lately, and I'm really glad that we made a point of trying to go out and do this because it's it's so easy not to, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, just, just getting out there, uh, like the last thing that I want to leave with this is even though we spent the weekend kind of disappointed that we didn't see a whole lot of fall color and everything looked early and all that, I have – far more good images after the fact than I expected to. So, yeah. Yeah. Me too. It was a win. Definitely yeah. a win. Definitely. Definitely. All right. Good seeing Sounds you, my good. man. Good we seeing you. And uh, it, encourage everybody to like and subscribe and share and all of that 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 good stuff. Uh, help us in, uh, grow our listenership. Absolutely. And, uh, and also check us out on YouTube because we're there too. If you absolutely have to look at us, that's the way to do it. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Have a good week and get out there and shoot some fall color before these trees go bare. Bottom.